My first guest today is Shaima Hall. You may recall her story, It Broke, here in Orange County. It broke in 2002 when Childhood Protective Services rescued her from an Egyptian family's household right here in Irvine. Since she was a minor at the time, her own name was not disclosed. Well, now, after enduring an unwieldy string of challenges, she has written it all up in a book entitled Hidden Girl, the True Story of a Modern-Day Child Slave. It's published by Simon & Schuster. She comes to us today from Riverside County. Welcome to the show, Shaima Hall. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure and an honor. I trip over myself when I say that. And to start, many journalists may set up your story as one with a happy ending. Uh, However, you had to work time. Oh, hello, Athena. She's there? Sorry, yeah. Well, I've been wanting to see uh, who's going to be the youngest ever guest on my show. So Athena wins the prize. So (laughs) let her know that I appreciate her joining us during our pledge drive week and doing this interview. Was she on the Tavis Smiley show with you? Um, she was there, but she wasn't on it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, so anyway, I'm back to this this saga of yours. You had to work through so many challenges, through so many institutions and persons along the way to where you are now without any models, without being able to trust in anyone. I mean, anywhere along the way. Any of these situations might have done you in completely. So I would like to talk, uh, explore some of those steps along the way, your biological family, your captors, the immigration, customs enforcement, or otherwise known as ICE, the California foster program, the foster families, and all along the way. Let's, as we talk about, I understand you've moved well beyond your earliest days, but for our audience's sake, would you be willing to tell us about how you, the seventh of 11 children from an impoverished family living in Cairo, you yourself, never having, having had the chance to attend school, started working for family? What were the terms that were arranged by your parents? Well, it all started because of my sister stole money from them. And the agreement was um, they wanted somebody else to take her place. And when... Um, they took her, she, they said, okay, I was there with my mom, and I was one of the young ones. So um, my mom said pretty much, well, here we go, you know, and that was the agreement that they had. And um, from there, it went to me not going back with my mom and just staying with them. Um, I stayed with their family in Egypt for two years. Um, I did what I was supposed to. I cleaned, I took care of their needs, whatever it was. I wasn't the only one they had in Egypt. Um, They had other people, and some were by choice. They got paid for it, and that was their job. Um, But I was the youngest one there. I was around eight, eight years old then. And you were never really aware of the terms yourself. I mean, you would sort of get some, maybe some smatterings of an explanation, but never clearly. So you're really out of the loop the whole time. And you were under the impression that you might return to your family every now and then. Yes. So that's, so I just want to keep posting on everybody on the amazing difficulties that you were facing. uh, And you never, you you thought you might get to go to school. Your sister was uh, educated for a bit, but you were... 
you were deprived of that. So you were uh, at that uh, sort of literacy disadvantage, too, as you're trying to sort out how to survive. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, everything that they said, it didn't happen. I didn't get to go visit them. I They only saw me like a few times there. Uh, when they dropped me off and when they came back when I was leaving the U.S., I mean, um, Egypt. Um, yes. I got to talk to them a few times, but that's it. But that's it. And um, all, it was always about you staying there and working harder and uh, keeping, but it turned out it was a, the terms were a revenue stream, a small one, but one that they were counting on to keep your your biological family going. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, and so... Amidst this sort of the strain of uh, unbelievable workload, you also had to endure from whom you term the dad and the mom throughout the book. They were constantly lowering your self-worth by referring to you in the most negative manner possible. So I want to keep adding these kinds of facets so that the listeners can understand how much adversity that you're dealing with. And it's, and it's, it's a wonderfully laid out book that it's a, the earnestness comes through Shaima. It's uh, it's uh, it's very plainly, clearly spoken, and it, it gives us a really clear picture. Although it's uh, no one can even approximate how it would have been to walk in your shoes with this constant berating and constant uh, workload that was uh, placed upon you. Well, um, although you were. Obviously, a native speaker, as I said, uh, I talked about earlier, that at one point you lost your fluency in that language and you had to have a translator assist you in a telephone call or two to your biological family. Tell us about what it was like in terms of your, you never really learned how to read Arabic or um, you spoke some, uh, some, uh, of course, uh, in conversationally in uh the family, the household's domestic setting, but you then had to, trans- once you were rescued, you were transitioned into immediately or soon into an American uh, educational system. So I'd like for my listeners to understand what that was like for you to start from scratch learning about language at all, that constructing it and uh, and transitioning into a formal, as we know it even in public schools, a, a formal educational setting? Honestly, it was really hard. I mean, I only knew a few words, um, and that was it. Um, what were those words? I, it's important for everybody to know. Um, I just knew hi, a dolphin, and one other word. That's really it. Like, um, I didn't know much. I mean, I didn't. You know, I didn't grow up in the house where they spoke English. They all pretty much spoke Arabic, too, at the house. And uh, um, the, and the other words, too, I guess you had to refer to those two, the mom and the dad, as your parents. That was something they made dang sure that you had that down. Yeah, and, you know, I was a stepsister. I, you know, that was, the stepsister was like, you know, so if people ask, that's who I am, so they don't get in trouble. Right covering their tracks. Well, um, so uh, during your bondage, your captors, as you said, you moved, they, they moved from Cairo. They left in a hurry. So that uh, I don't know if you ever found out what they were implicated in doing in Cairo. Did you find that out? Um, actually, the mom has got deported to Cairo. Um, so it's her kids. And uh, 
dad, I believe he is still here in the U.S. under customs, like, um, protection because if he asked for it, if he doesn't. It was on the news, Orange County News, actually, about three years ago that he's still in the U.S. and that he's um, asking for protection of the U.S. because if he goes back to Egypt, he'll be... Um, sentenced to death because he has trouble in Egypt as well. <laughs> so it was, it was. I mean, it was uh, looming, but it was never clear, and so you never knew what what it was, what transgressions or whatever trouble he ran into in Cairo. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine. Well, if you've just joined us, listeners, it's our fun drive this week till Friday. Please call nine four nine eight two four five eight two four. Go online at kuci dot org and pledge us, support us. We have gift certificates. We have. Uh, tickets. We have, oh, hello, Athena again. We have uh, CDs. We've got vinyl. So please call the number. So for those of you who just joined us, my guest is Shaima Hall, who's written about the saga of her enslavement and putting her life together in her recently released book entitled Hidden Girl, the True Story of a Modern Day Child Slave, published, as I said, by Simon and Schuster. Well, what I want to do is we've talked about some of the barriers here that uh, you had to to navigate through. Nobody gave you a manual for uh, living by your wits. That's what's the amazing sort of thread throughout the story, Shaima. It's just amazing. And so you've learned that not only were your captors going to put you at a huge disadvantage, but you learned that the foster program, there were also their agendas that you had to uh, slowly figure out. And do you want to tell listeners a little bit about some of those uh, problems? Um, let's see. Foster care system is not broken. It's the people that go into it, and they only want to do it for the money. There's always the good of the ones that wants to take the kids and love them and care for them and give them everything that they never had. And there's the one that does it because they want the money that comes out of it. And that was more of my situation. <laughs> um, I fell into the parents that really didn't care. Um, but I was more of very independent as well. Oh, and, that um, was critical. And it was three families that you... Uh, learned uh, of this that you have this experience with all three of them had some kind of a a uh, material angle that they that motivated them to participate in the foster program yes that's exactly how it really was and um i took each and every family and i kind of grew with it and moved on with my life and um i you know, my social workers, they all cared, they all showed up, and I loved them, and I, you know, I thank them all the time for that. Um, it's just a family, and I, <laughs> um, I kind of, um, you know, I put myself at a distance from them as well because I didn't want to be hurt or, or care for some people, and in the end, I don't, you know, not feeling part of their family and that's how I felt for all of them and you know it's it was more of the money to them than anything and then immigration and customs enforcement ICE also I I found it remarkable Shaima when uh, you mentioned how they first uh, uh, joined you at the protective service to people but the ICE personnel I don't think I can't believe that they didn't have a clue 
how inappropriate it was for a, a an adult male to approach you with your first questions. I, I, I mean, it just seemed to me intuitive what a bad first start for them to try to, to work with somebody as traumatized as you were for so many years. So um, we'll get to the how things worked out. But did, does, I mean, doesn't it amaze you now that somebody in that agency didn't, they didn't, the agency as a whole didn't have more sophistication to figure out a better way to, to start working to help you? Um, well, the thing about um, the whole situation is I was the first case for Orange County okay. for human trafficking. Um, they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know how to, um, like, go with it. I There was no a hard copy of law in California about child labor. It was more of, you know, the, the states. Or, um, but I was the first case they ever had. No one knew what to do with it. Um, you know, now we're so much better here. We have laws for child labor. We know how to approach kids. We're trying to learn how to approach them um, and understand how victim feels when they're first going into being rescued instead of, you know, officers look at it as, you know, hey, I'm helping you. They've got to see it as, hey, um, this person uh, don't know what's going on, and this is probably, like, the worst thing to them right now. Um, so they're, we're learning. We That's why I go out and speak, and they under, try to understand, you know, how to um, approach things and deal with things. It was years later when I believe it was Paul, is the, uh, the personnel, that they, they knew that they needed to come back to you and do a, a post mortem, I guess we could call it, to uh, review what steps that they took that needed improvement. So uh, you learned later, but of course you were in a much stronger position to to be able to help them out. But um, it, it, it just seemed to me so very strange that it didn't dawn on them, because I, I'm not trained in that. And when I got to that chapter, I thought, my goodness, what a bad call to send the guy over there, this poor, poor traumatized woman. I just want to uh, let, for those of you leaning closer and closer to your speakers, my guest is Shaima Hall, who's written up about her child slave uh, bondage, it's called, in a sense, um, how she's put together her life together um, in her recently issued book, uh, Hidden Girl, The True Story of a Modern Day Slave. Well, as you note, as we're going to talk about why it was so important for you to write this book and what we all need to understand, I want to unpackage this as much as we can in the time we have. You note that only, and people, this shocks, it shocks me every time I bring it up and think about it, only 2% of illegally trafficked children are rescued in the U.S. I just want to give everybody a moment to think about that. How is it even possible to have that estimate, uh, do you think, Shaima? Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, my God. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, I mean, again, that comes back to how we're training our cops and why they need to learn what to do when they see it on how to deal with it and and how the people that's around the situations if they say something about it or if they walk away when they see something wrong <clears throat> it all comes down to all that because if we don't open our eyes we're not going to see the ones that need the help and the ones that need to be rescued well 
since we're broadcasting from Irvine, where part of your uh, enslavement had occurred, I think some listeners are going to be curious. I don't know if you're willing to tell us which particular neighborhood, because what the point of my asking this is, so people understand, yes, it really did happen. I, a lot of uh, friends of mine told me, they're, they're going to listen to this interview, they said they, they, they followed this when it was breaking in 2002 and beyond that, but I, if you would be willing to tell us, so we know, yes, it's happening, and then we'll talk about what our role is as community members to to assist in uh, uh, identifying and following it through. What can you tell us? What part of Irvine this had occurred? Where the house was located? I I don't remember honestly. Um, I haven't lived in Irvine in forever. Right. Um, I I mean it did happen in Irvine. I went to Orangewood in um, Orange uh, right. County right. as my um, my group home. Um, afterwards, um, so that one thing I can name for you. <laughs> okay, so um, it's then so for people to remember that it was in Irvine, and so it you went to a park early on with your t- charges, which were about they're about your same age, or maybe they were an, a year or two older than you, and so you presented some very clear signs that something wasn't right, and there was some attention, and I, your the mom and the dad did not have you go out to that park anymore with the, the boys, uh, their sons. But um, just can you describe how you presented at that park that any one of us should be able to take note of, and we'll talk about measures taken after we see that. What, what, how did you appear at, at that park? Um, my job was to take care of, watch over the two twins, and I would take them to the park and... Um, let them play, and I'll sit down and watch them. Um, let's see. I I was really dirty looking. I mean, I wore clothes that probably would have stopped fitting me two years ago. Um, I I I was very. I looked lonely. I was a kid that was sitting on the bench watching the kids, other kids played. There was a lot of fines. I did have somebody approach me, but they told them, you know, hey, she was our stepsister. So, you know, there was the, the knowing, you know, there was something wrong. It was right there. Well, and you were not you were not able to interact with her. You only spoke three words of English, perhaps. This is before you even learned the word dolphin, right, at SeaWorld. But so mm-hmm. you uh, you weren't able to interact with them. So there's there's a there's an affect somebody has, folks, that when they don't speak a language, they just don't say anything. Nothing casual. No word is uttered at all. So that's that's the marker that goes along with, as you said, you were a bit grimy. You had clothes that were, weren't fitting you properly. And uh, and what do you think, if you can consider describing, what do you think your your sort of emotional bearing was that would be another marker for us to pick up on and, and identify the problem? Um, let's see. Honestly, I was more of like a sad, lonely kid. I mean, that's the only way we'll just describe it. I was just sitting there. <laughs> so um, there's the glee. Nothing. Yes, I'm sorry. I had nothing. I wasn't saying anything. I didn't speak. Um, so, yeah. So the, the the no affect at all, in fact, or maybe a, a little bit of a, a fearfulness because of not knowing what's what's going on and you're not uh, you're being out on your own and all. So the, the, the disposition is markedly different than your charges. That would have been a marker besides what you said, how you were dressed and, and uh, your, uh, your hygiene and that kind of a thing. And what was your 
was your hair growing long? Was there a way we could tell by how your hair was, or was it clean, or what? what is there something? I mean, my hair was messy. I mean, um, my hair is long. Everybody likes hair their hair long, by the way. <laughs> uh, so don't get that one. Um, but it, I mean, my hair was messy and crazy. I have really curly hair. Um, <clears throat> honestly, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's not about my hair. It's about how how my face looked sad and upset. It was about me dressing clothes that was fitting me a year ago and no longer fits me. You know, about a person that's not talking and just watching the kids play and don't move. Um, that's really the situation that was I was in. Um, nothing really around it. And so then another uh, marker that you think was maybe the basis, the reason that somebody uh, called in the Childhood Protective Services was that you could be seen in to the wee hours slaving away at the kitchen sink, cleaning up after maybe you, maybe we could see other lights are off, but you are still, there's this small person at a sink working still. So uh, that's perhaps another takeaway for people that if something just, the, the, the uh, delegation of duties just doesn't look right, that it's yeah. cause for us to become active. So if we're looking at these, um, I don't know if that woman at the, the park that you went to the, uh, early on in Irvine, if she had approached you, what could she have done? Other, we don't know if she did anything, if she, she got the other neighbor on board with the, seeing you in the window there, but what could she have done then? Um, she, she called... Um, you know, child protections or, I mean, child, like, um, service, like, for kids abused or she could have, I mean, she could have called the cops. I mean, the simplest thing like that. Um, Would uh, she need to know where you lived before she could call them on this case so they know where you were? Or how, what do you recommend? Well, you definitely need to, yeah, to need to know where I was so she can tell them where I am. Um she lived across the street from us, so that wouldn't be a problem, really. Um, okay, so she would have been aware of where those boys lived that you were with and that that would have been yeah, a likely place. Yeah, okay. right across the street. Okay. Um, I mean, you have to know where the person is and how, um, um, I mean, if you try to approach them, I mean, I didn't speak English. Right. If she go, if you guys go through the case where you don't see a... You see a person, maybe approach them, maybe they speak English, maybe they can tell you, hey, you know, maybe they can tell you they need the help. Some people just all it needs to be asked. Um, I mean, it's all a different situation, but you always have to, it all ends up for you to hoping by calling the cops. By you, most Almost all cops now know aware what human traffic is. They may not know what to do with it all the way, but they will try to do their best of getting somebody to deal with it. Um, you know, um, so... Um, and Childhood Protective Services... When they rescued you, they had worked out all kinds of scenarios that you mentioned in the book. They knew that there were lots of different ways. They had a lot of contingency plans, but they were not going to leave that first meeting without bringing you out of that household. So they had, they had made the, they'd studied that one very carefully. So they had that worked out well. Um, and so I, I, this is then, folks. One of the main motivations I believe that Shaima 
has written this book so that we all know our role. If it doesn't look right, we're not to look the other way. If we understand all of us that 2% of all enslaved children are ever rescued, that means 98% folks, they're under our noses. And when you read Hidden Girl, you will definitely be changed for what your role is, you will understand what ne- what you need to do. The, um, so that's that's the answer you you put in uh, your final chapter for your motivations for uh, our essential takeaway. Um, what uh, did ICE? Uh, they, as you said later on, they they asked you for your advice on improving what they did initially, and so you said they've improved. That you've said that the protocols have also improved with most uh, municipal law enforcement as well. Um, I'd like to know if there is anything. I mean, there, there, there's a good deal to say. I don't, I don't want to. Uh, I want for people to, to feel the need to, to pick up your book. So I don't want to uh, blow uh, any of the other uh, amazing material. But I, I just for someone who has not had anything but struggle, nothing but disadvantages, that you were able to live by your wits so astutely, Shaima, is just. A marvel, and this book uh, is was is was a remarkable read, and I'm hoping anybody listening is going to pick up their copy of Hidden Girl, as I said, published by Simon and Schuster. Is there anything that you would like to say? I mean, uh, there there are some cultural pieces that I was hoping to bring up, but I I think I want for the listeners to pick up that book because you've you've uh, now become a bit estranged with with Arabic culture as well as Ar- the Arabic language. You don't speak it any longer, correct? No, I really don't speak it now. I I speak English and I try to teach my daughter Spanish. <laughs> okay, wow. So, yeah. so and you are now in Riverside and uh, County, and you have your partner and you have yeah. your baby Athena, and so uh, it's it it's. I think I would not call this a happy ending. I'd say it was triumphing over too many sinister strings of, of challenges. And uh, I think it's um, it's a hard one reprieve from that. But I think be, part, the other takeaway is that although you were able to prevail, there was so much mental and physical toll on you. The therapy you needed the uh, arthritic condition that you're saddled with now, it's not, life is not as sweet as uh, it could be if you didn't have to endure those things that have kept, have imprinted on you this this kind of, of uh, kind of maiming here. So, um, so I just want to close and uh, uh, thanking you for uh, your time today. I hope you're you're managing your arthritis reasonably well. Uh, Shaima? Yes. Okay. And um, I want to thank you for your time. Wish you a happy Mother's Day. And um, whenever you want to come back to a community radio program, let's hear how things are going, how people are doing their job better out in law enforcement, and uh, how maybe that percentage of the the rescue rate of enslaved children is improving. Can you do that for us? Definitely. Okay. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Thank you very much, okay. and happy Mother's Day to everybody. Oh. Um, I'm very happy being a mother. I love it. Um, I just want everybody to um, understand once we all try to open our eyes a little bit, we can all save somebody, just like somebody picked up the phone and saved my life forever. 
and that's why I am who I am now. Um, I did have great helps along all the way through everything, and I'm sure whoever gets rescued will have the same thing. Amen. Thank you so much for that lovely. Thank you all the best and love to all those that have given you that and take care. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. That was amazing. So um, we'll be back after a break. We're going to talk to to Gary Matkin and then we'll talk about some of these cool programs at the Cooperative Extension for everybody from from high school all the way up to returning students. We'll be right back. Well, thank you everybody for staying tuned. I'll play that enduring theme from the um, the lullaby on that later on. It was sweet and this was kind of sweet itself. So welcome back to the show. Today, uh, for the second half, here to talk about several summer programs offered through the Cooperative Extension is my next guest, Gary Matkin, Dean of Continuing Education, Distance Learning, and Summer Session. Don't you wonder at what that's like for Maven or an Advancement Administrator to make that introduction uh, repeatedly? Gary Matkin received his Bachelor's of Science in Accounting at University of San Francisco, his MBA and PhD at UC Berkeley. And after extensive corporate and higher educational administrative experience on other campuses, Dean Matkin joined UCI in the year 2000. He previously appeared on KUCI's Countdown. And recently, back from Slovenia, he comes to us today from our fair campus. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Dean Matkin. Thank you, Claudia. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Absolutely. And by the way, that's a considerable distance recruiting students from the Balkans to attend UCI's extension courses, don't you think? It, it, it is, but it's not unusual. We have students from all over the world attending our, our program. In fact, about 8,000 students per year come to us from other countries. That's just the extension program? Or just or do you mean? the extension program wow. and, and summer session. Wow. By the way, let me correct you. The, the, what you mentioned extension is offering summer courses. Of course, summer session offers courses. Summer session. Summer too. Okay. All right. All the all the above there. Well, today we have a, a host of upward of four different programs to cover, and we'll talk about how they were created, the purpose, and who's eligible for each one of them. So we'll go from the uh, program with the youngest target uh, group uh, onto the older. And so we'll start with the pre-collegiate summer program for high-achieving students, the High School Scholars Program. Can you tell us about that? We're very excited about this program. It started a couple of years ago, and now we think this year it will double. We had, I think, about 100 students last year, and we expect it to more than double this year. It's really targeted at local high school students who are sent to us uh, through their counselors as being uh, ready for uh, university work. We have a, a number of courses that we highlight for them from our summer session offering that we think will advance them both in their high school career and, of course, count toward their honors courses when they apply to colleges. So it's a way of, of getting uh, students, uh, uh, local students, uh, involved in real university work uh, during the, the maybe the, the last two summers of their high school career, and getting them, getting them ready to come to, to UC, UCI. And this program is 
uh, the deadline for signing up. That's coming up. It's May 17th. Well, there's time, folks. It's uh, May 17th, and the program, that's, as you say, it's from, it's six, this is six weeks, this one? Yes. Oh. Well, we have two five-week sessions, so okay. uh, they, they can enroll in either, in either one. I think we have, a, we have a concentration for the second session. And so when you say high-achieving high school students, uh, who, who, uh, who do you have in mind? Well, How high? Ba- basically, we expect people, we, we, obviously, uh, the high school students who come into a University of California Irvine course have to, be, have, to have the ability to, to do well in those courses. We, we obviously um, want students who have proven in their high school careers and to their high school counselors' satisfaction that they can do university-level work. Uh, and we've been very successful, by the way, through that process. The counselors have given us very good students. Generally, the students uh, last year who came through this program got A's and B's in their in their summer session courses, which is really wow. a wonderful, wonderful achievement. Uh, especially because, you know, as as you know, summer session is really a collapsed sort of quarter where we have uh, instead of ten week se- uh, quarter uh, ten week uh, courses, we have five week courses. Very intensive. Yes. So I guess uh, you've. How long have you been doing this one? Uh, this one, I think we started about three years ago with just a few students. Then last year we, I think it went up to 100 students, and now we expect over 200 students. And it's really a great program because we not only give them the courses and allow them to get into the UC summer session courses, but we also do special programs for them. So along with their enrollment, we uh, we have them get together. We we introduce them to college. Uh, to university life in, in special ways, and, and, and they also form sort of their own, their own group. And uh, we, we're now beginning to offer uh, leadership sort of uh, opportunities for them as well. Wow. That's, that's huge, huge getting them uh, equipped. So um, our, tell us about your, where you're recruiting. I mean, we're not talking about Slovenia now, but I mean, uh, I, I actually forwarded on this program to some friends that are uh, educators at Santa Ana High School. So what are, do you have any special kinds of targets for the students that are applying for this program? Well, we, we, we feel that obviously the, the, most of these students will be enrolling not in our online courses, but in our, our, our classroom-based courses. So they've got to be within, uh, you know, driving distance of the campus. So we've been focusing our recruiting efforts right on uh, local high schools. I've got to get my mic is just coming and going here. Uh, so, uh, so it's wherever. And so um, the the applications, as I said, uh, the families are helping putting this together. On May seventeenth is the deadline. The starts at June twenty first. Uh, you're looking for sophomore and junior eligible uh, students to attend. Yes, we are. Okay, and so uh, I'd like to know how our students then uh, are they commuting daily? Are some able to reside on the campus? I guess if you're recruiting from far away. Well, the, the, the high school program, which is focused on the, uh, the, the daytime classes, most of them are compute, commuting, commuting. They're doing all that. <laughs> but, but they're also, some of them, even if they are within commuting distance, they're choosing to stay on campus. Cool. We have a, we, have a, uh, a, 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 we offer them the chance to, to live on campus while they're going to summer session so that they get a real idea of what what uh, university life is like, and a few take us up on that. Good. Yeah. So increasingly more. So um, 
then uh, as with more students, more are going to want to stay over. So they they um, do you have returnees get involved so they know what their students are going through? They're sort of uh, they've got a leg up on how to how to uh, get the students on board. What's really exciting about this is that uh, summer session employs over sixty uh, undergraduate students uh, during the summer, and those students. Uh, have a number of functions uh, in helping us out, but one of them is, of course, to to serve as mentors and leaders for these special groups, including uh, the high school students. So we we uh, pair uh, the high school students up with, or we we associate high school students or groups of high school students with uh, uh, freshmen and sophomores and juniors from UCI who can give uh, them uh, guidance and help on a student-to-student basis. So it's, a, it's an opportunity, for the, obviously, for the high school students, but it's also an opportunity for UCI students, number one, to, of course, to earn money, but number two, to exercise their skills in, in leadership and in mentoring. Right. So when we give all the contact information, the, any interested UCI students listening to this program or the podcast are going to want to use that same contact information? Well, the, we, we have, I, I believe we have our, our summer session crew established uh, right now. So oh, you do? Okay. They've been working for some time. We, we actually established that in the fall term so that we can train them and get them ready to go for the summer. So it's a, it's a, it's a uh, very, uh, very planned process to, get, to make sure we, get, we got the right kind of uh, s- services for our students. And what are the costs for this program? Cost for this program, I'm not, I don't have it right uh, available to me, but uh, basically it's the regular summer session fee, uh, including the registration okay. fee so for, for, non, uh, for non-UC students. So I think it's $250 for the registration fee and then the, the uh, $147 a unit or whatever it is for the, for the uh, regular summer session fee. Okay. For those of you who've just joined us here on Ask a Leader, my guest is Dean Gary Matkin, Dean, that is, of Continuing Education, Distance Learning, and Summer Session. And it's also our fund drive. I just want to make sure everybody has that number handy. I've got folks that can take your calls at 949 949- UCI, KUCI, that's 949-824-5824, or go on the web at KUCI.org and pledge. We're starting at $35, and we're going up from there. Premiums are a delight, certificates, gift certificates, vinyl, CDs, all kinds of goodies, so please give us a call. So back to my distinguished guest, as I said, Dean Gary Matkin. We're Cla- talking- Claudia, let me pledge my membership right now. Oh, my goodness. Thank you very much, Gary. I appreciate that. Well, we've got programs galore still to talk about. There's the University Success 101. Tell us about who, which learners you're reaching out this for that is, one. This is really one of the most exciting things we're doing this summer, I think. We have, uh, well, I know, we have uh, three courses that we're offering uh, for free for summer sessions. These are credit courses. They're designed to help students be successful in college, and they're really designed for they're designed for anybody, anybody. But they're really were originally designed for students who are either entering or in their first years at UC. Okay. We have three courses now. Uh, one is Pharm- Pharmacology Science 42, which is titled curiously Life 101, 
and it really talks about uh, is really a very general course on on how to uh, how to uh, how to introduce management skills into your into your life and and particularly the life of a student. The second one we have is Public Health 10, which is stress management, with an emphasis on dealing with the kinds of stress that students uh, so often experience, mm. particularly as they come here uh, as freshmen and have to deal with uh, not only, of course, the stress of the academic uh, rigor, but also uh, being away from parents and so forth. And the third one is also something that I think is really important, and that is Management 90, which is time, money, and career. We have an emphasis there on, on, on thinking about how to manage your finances as a student, and particular with some emphasis on student debt and so forth and managing that, but also then in preparing uh, through your college career, for, uh, through your college uh, time with, uh, for your career and, and job in the future. So those three courses are really very, very tailored and targeted for UCI students, and, and as I say, they're absolutely free can enroll the regular way through through uh, through the summer session process. They they do not count toward the eight unit cap, so because they are free, and and if they're the only courses that are being taken by a UCI student, the registration fee does apply. But other than that, they're they're free. There's no unit fee at all. Amazing! What a great way to get some. Especially the entering students started with the amazing daily uh, life skills for sure. Um, I know we don't have tons of enough time, but we—I uh, don't know if you want to add any other features to that before we go into the freshman start program. Well, as I say, I, I think this—we we already have over 400 enrollments in these courses, and I think this be, word is beginning to catch up with yes. us, and and uh, it's really—I think it's a really a wonderful opportunity, and and also uh, stu- uh, we're finding that student uh, parents are very interested in having their student, their uh, children uh, take these courses. Okay, so um, I, I'm, you are getting the word out to all the schools. I just want to make sure, uh, like around uh, all Orange County, is there an active sort of recruitment for all the, the districts? We're, we're, we're focusing our marketing efforts for these courses on UCI matriculated students, obviously, because and, and particularly on entering freshmen, yes. Okay, all right, great. Well, I'll keep. Uh, I'll make a point of uh, getting that out, and uh, with the podcast, it'll have, it'll have a life uh, out there for uh, more people to to digest some of their options. So, uh, we'll I'll include in the podcast then all of the websites. Um, but w- so far, we have the summer.uci.edu forward slash services. We get to that. There's the summer.uci.edu forward slash online and the summer.uci.edu forward slash, I believe it's FSSP. That's the Fresh Start Program. Right, so Freshman Start Program. Freshman, okay, so um, then uh, we have the, this is number four for those who are keeping track here, the STEM International Undergraduate University Preparation <laughs> Program. And so tell us about eligibility, what's the goal here, how long you've had it, what's the cost, let's cover it all. Well, we're... Uh, we're offering. Uh, uh, we we know that many students who come into UCI are are underprepared for uh, the major STEM gateway courses: uh, Chemistry One, Biology ninety three, Physics, and and so forth. And so we've developed some uh, free uh, or low cost courses 
to help uh, students um, uh, prepare for those courses. They're not, they're, they are preparation courses, but in, in, in a sense they're preparation with actually subject matter okay. associated with them. So they're like regular courses, and they, they, they try to fill in the gaps that a student from uh, a high school might have. Many high schools, of course, have really good uh, courses in chemistry and physics and so forth, but some, some high schools around the state uh, don't really prepare students all that well for the rigor of a UC uh, course. And so we've developed these free courses uh, in order to, uh, and, and we're putting them on in the, just before, in the, la in the five weeks before, um, before the, the actual the fall terms, before the fall starts, in okay. order to have, give uh, students a chance to get ready for those courses. Well, let's break down what the setting is. Now, how long, Gary, have you had this STEM program? We tried it first uh, last year. Okay, so this is... And uh, so this is, uh, and it, 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 we, except for one program, we didn't have very many enrollments, but this year we expect to have uh, quite a few more. About some couple hundred. Well, we're, we're, what we're doing now is we're we're putting these courses as MOOCs. Uh, we put okay. We, we we put the courses as a MOOC. The the main one we did last year was uh, biology, and uh, bio, biology prebiology. It was done by Professor Diane O'Dowd and Dr. Adrian Williams, and we put it on Coursera as a MOOC. Okay. And uh, that was uh, that, that was really we had over thirty-seven thousand enrollments in it. But more importantly, we had um, students who we identified as possibly being uh, having going to have a, a bit of a problem with uh, with biology based on their SAT scores, and we counseled those students into uh, this course, and we're following in that. Three hundred eighty-seven students actually enrolled in the MOOC and then we followed them through the first year of first semester first quarter of biology and now we're we're looking at those results to see if that had any effect. Well, when you were talking about preparing with each uh each student sort of what where their shortcomings are in um the course. So it's but it's online. So there is there an interactive kind of tutorial part of this? There is. Okay, great. Yes. Uh there's a in uh, both chem chemistry and pre-calculus, we have uh, we're using a, a, a software package called Alex, which is really an adaptive learning tool. Which started here, folks. Started here, uh, Professor Jean-Paul Fromage uh, created Fromagne, that yes. program. Yes. And uh, and uh, it's a wonderful program that helps people identify exactly where their gaps are in the knowledge that they seek, and then guides them and sort of along a map, sort of. Uh, toward uh, mastery that they need in order to start calculus, for instance. Well, that's phenomenal. And I, I, mean, I, I know from a pretty personal experience, not mine, but my own son was using that. It, it followed uh, him uh, when we were on a sabbatical. So it's a, it's a very portable, very interactive whole uh, methodology there. So, yes, Jean-Claude really pulled off a great program there. And so uh, I'd like to wrap with uh, the kinds of contacts for people. Now, you've, we've got deadlines ahead of us. So people, if they're interested, uh, they've still got plenty of time to fill in. Now, the, you've got it staffed, but there are many spots still. I mean, you've already gotten people enrolled, correct, in any one of these four? Yes, we do. We, oh. we have, uh, I'm getting a, a weekly enrollment count, and they're, they're growing very rapidly. Uh, and our, our online program, will uh, we're, we're very close to 
the 48, we had 4,800 enrollments last year in our 40 online courses. This year, at the end of the summer, we had 4,800. This year, we're already at 4,200, and obviously, summer is still yet to start by several weeks, by a number of weeks. So, we're very encouraged about our online courses, and those courses are filling up. So, I would advise your listeners, if they're interested in an online course, that they ought to look at the schedule and enroll right away because. Uh, in some cases, we can offer further sections, but in some cases, we can't. Okay, so the websites all start with the summer.uci.edu, and then each one of them, there's a forward slash online or forward slash name the uh, the initials for the program, as I said, for like FS, FSSP or the um, forward slash preparation at, uh, for the STEM program, and Let's see the other ones. Also, you can at the on the summer session site you can click on online and look at the online courses. Excellent. And then the easy easiest way is just to dial nine four nine eight two four seventy six forty nine. I've given another number for the pledge drive, but the, I will repeat the for the summer session and other cooperative extension courses and all included. Please, you can get a hold of the staff at 949-824-7649. Well, I need to wrap this, and I want to thank Gary, Dean Gary Matkin, with the Continuing Education, Distance Learning, and Summer Session here on Ask a Leader. Thanks for being on the show today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Good luck, and thanks for uh, serving so many in need with uh, some of these basic and not-so-basic kinds of, of uh, programs. It's really needs. exciting for us. We're glad to do it. Okay. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Here. Well, that's all the time we have on Ask a Leader. I just want to let you know, next week's program, I'm having on a pedigreed yoga master extraordinaire, Yuris Zinbergs. He'll uh, return uh, us to what I would call the essential qualities of yoga. Then in the second half, we'll hear from Michelle Boom. She's the Southern Californian Regional Director of the High Speed Rail exciting times to talk of transit when the public is shifting its preferences and lots of discussions about the high-speed rail but I want to I want to smart it up and not dumb it down with some of these uh, kind of small questions that have been asked in the press talk with you next week and thank you everyone for listening <laughs> <laughs>